1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you have your copy of God's Word. I'm excited about this new series uh, as we uh, look at some things. Uh, you know, I don't know if you, if you know it or not, but there are people that go to church and then stop going to church. Uh, for whatever reason, and there are all kinds of reasons, that may be you. And, and you may have, have decided, you know, you know I've, I've done the church thing. I, I've walked away. I'm here with family today. Um, the church has either hurt me or I just don't think I need it. Um, you know, God hasn't done anything for me. And so, uh, you know, I want to, you know, I'm just going to try to find my own way. Um, I hope that over these next weeks uh, that, that maybe even if, if you don't come back into the room that you do take some time to watch online um, and to our online family today. We hope that you stick around with us. There's someone that's hosting uh, the chat today. If you have prayer concerns or prayer needs, there's someone that wants to engage with you this morning. And so uh, be watching and, uh, and, and be, be attentive as we go through this together. I was born in April of 1982. That makes me very nearly 41. And so um, I know I feel it every day. Um, in, but in, in my birth year, January, cha- or January, January chapter, January 13th, 1982, uh, there was an Air Florida flight that took off, headed for, or uh, that was, took off for Washington, D- or uh, took off from Washington, D.C., and was headed out of town. And, and when, um, when it was, it was climbing out from Washington Dulles Airport, uh, it lost an engine and, uh, and could not continue to climb. It was icy. The weather was terrible. And the, the aircraft wound up having to put down in the Potomac River, uh, which in normal cases, a water landing, uh, is, is no fun. But when there's ice in the, in, in the, uh, in the, uh, in the water and the water is freezing cold, only a person can only survive for just a couple minutes. Um, time is of the essence. And so uh, they got a Coast Guard chopper that got up uh, and was hovering over them, was lowering a ladder down. Uh, and among them, there were 79 passengers on board this flight. Uh, 74 of those passengers would perish. But those five uh, had gotten up onto the top or onto the wing of the aircraft. And uh, as the, the ladder was coming down, there was one man whose name was Arland Williams. Arland uh, Williams, whenever the ladder would be dropped, he would take the ladder and rather than climbing up uh, to safety on his own, he would hand that ladder to the next person. And then that person would be lifted up and the ladder would come back down and Arlen would hand the, the ladder to the next person and then to the next person and to the next person and to the next person. And, and then finally, uh, out, of, out of those people that were standing on the wing of the aircraft uh, trying, to get, trying to, to get out, the ladder was dropped a sixth time. And there was no Arlen Williams to be found. He had, had the, the plane had begun to sink and Arlen Williams went into the water and drowned. Why would he do something like that? Why would somebody do something like that? Arlen Williams gave his life to help strangers. So why tell this story? It's kind of a downer for for Easter, isn't it? Why tell this story? Because, friends, if this life that we're living in today, if this life truly is all there is, and there are people, maybe, maybe in this room, definitely people that are outside of this room, that believe that this life is as good as it gets, that this life is all that there is. If this life truly is all there is, and there is no resurrection after this life, why would Arlen Williams waste the one life, the one shot that he had, rather than soak up every last minute he had here? Someone who didn't believe in the resurrection, in a resurrection, would say that Arlen Williams made a poor choice. William James once said that the great use of a life is to spend it on something that outlasts it. 
You see, church, as Christians, the very core belief of our belief isn't found solely in the Scriptures. Now, I'll be honest with you. I believe the Bible to be truthful, inspired, and inerrant from cover to cover. I believe it is completely and totally sufficient for anything we will face in this life or out. But if these scriptures were to contain the story of the death of God himself in the person of Jesus, and there is no resurrection that accompanies it, then our hope is limited to all that this world offers. And as a man, from a man who pastored a church through the COVID pandemic and all the craziness of the 2020 election cycle and all the nuttiness that has gone on in our world over the last several years, I've got to figure there's got to be something better than this. But let's suppose for a moment. Let's just suppose for a moment that the resurrection never happened. Suppose Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane that night. Suppose that he was tried, that he was convicted, that he was beaten, that he was led through the town, uh, outside the, the, the walls of the, of the old city, out to Golgotha, and he was strung up on the cross, and that he died. And that he was laid in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and that was it. There's a memoriam. There's a place that you can go. That's what a tomb is all about, right? There's a place, a tomb is a place where you go and you visit the bodies of, the body of someone that you love. What if the stone that was rolled in front of Jesus' tomb, what if it's still there? What if the people have have all dispersed and and the people that came to the tomb and they worship the body that's contained within, like, like they do all the other gods that have died over the years? See, the Corinthian church had rejected the hope of the resurrection. They bought into this Greek philosophy that that viewed the, the body as being something that was perishable, discardable. That was just kind of the contaminated house of man's sin. And although they accepted the hope that came with the resurrection of Christ, they rejected the truth that one day, because Jesus rose, they would rise too. As a matter of fact, when Paul addresses the church, you're going to see it as we read it here in just a moment. He's going to use an article. He's going to say, if the resurrection never happened. Paul literally is going to say that since Christ is proclaimed as once risen bodily and currently, how can a few of you teach others if you agree that there is no bodily resurrection of the dead? So in other words, you can't just say that, that Jesus is bodily risen from the dead, but Christians aren't going to be raised physically. You've got to believe one or the other. These two resurrections, the resurrection of Christ on Easter Sunday and the resurrection of the believers on the last day, both guarantee us that Jesus promised that he would raise us from the dead just as he was raised from the dead. But what, let, me, let me spend some time today and let's look at what it would mean for us if the resurrection of Jesus never happened. I'm so glad Paul addressed this because for folks who have walked away from the faith, many times it is the bodily resurrection of Christ that is one of the greatest stumbling blocks. How can we believe that something that was dead can be alive again? Today's big idea is this, is that if Jesus didn't physically, bodily, rise from the dead, there would be no hope for this world. But what if he did rise? I submit to you, it would change everything. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read verses 12 through 25 together this morning. He said, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we, we testified about God that he raised Christ. Whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if Christ is not raised, I'm sorry, for if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Then in his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now, I know you want to go straight to verse 20. Because that's, that's the happy, right? Like we're, We love that part. We, but Christ has, in fact, been raised. No, no, no. Well, let's spend a few minutes in verses 12 through 19. That if Jesus, never, if Jesus never rose from the dead, then there are certain implications. And one of those implications is this, that our Savior would be lifeless. Look at verse 13. He said, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been resurrected. So denying the resurrection of our bodies requires that we also deny. Jesus' resurrection. Jesus himself in chapter in John chapter 11 and verse 25, he attested to the fact that he is the resurrection and the life. He, 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 as a matter of fact, he goes so far as to say that there is no life without a resurrection. The Bible says that, that we and all of us, right, all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, not even one. So even the best person you can think of, if, and if I ask you to close your eyes and to think of the absolute best person, you know some of y'all are going to think of your granny or maybe like, uh, maybe you're going to think of, of you know, uh, your, your Sunday school teacher growing up or maybe you're going to think of a teacher you had in school or maybe, you know, it, maybe it'd be... Guys, maybe it should be your spouse. I, I, I don't know, okay? Not even the best person you know on this planet is good enough to get to God on their own. Bible says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are dead in their sin. So we're all in the same boat. There cannot be a resurrection if there has first not been death. And in the face of these facts, that is a heavy burden of proof to carry. That God has promised us a future with him that can only be secured by faith in his son, Jesus. So if the resurrection is false, then not only would our Savior be lifeless, but our proclamation would carry emptiness. Look at verse 14. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. 
So if Jesus never rose from the dead, then every Sunday when I stand up in front of you and I spend 40 minutes proclaiming the goodness of God, the, the reality of the resurrection, the hope that we have in Christ, I spend 40 minutes a Sunday and hours through the week preparing just to get up here and lie to you. How sad is that? That any hope that I offer you today, if there's no resurrection, it will, you're, the, you're, the hope of anything good in your life will end the moment you take your last breath. How much fun would that funeral message be to preach? It was great till he stopped breathing. It was kind of all downhill from there. The hope that I would offer would have a shelf life. But what did Jesus say in John chapter 14 and verse 2? He said, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will receive you to myself. As a matter of fact, in verse 1 of John chapter 14, he says, he says what I'm about to tell you, don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. What good is it for Jesus to go prepare a place for us if when we die, it's just sort of over? How sad would that be? As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Friend, can I tell you something? If the resurrection never happened, then the suffering, the beating, the dying that Jesus did on our behalf would be completely in vain. And our message would carry no hope. It would, it would be empty. The gospel message would have no validity because it's based on a story of just another good man, just like Arlen Williams, another good man who lived and died for another good cause. Without the resurrection, I, as a matter of fact, we could close it down here and just all go home. Y'all go take pictures, go hide your Easter eggs, Go carve your ham. Live it up in this life. Because without the resurrection, there ain't nothing left. Because preaching and worship would be a waste of time. All the Christian sermons, all the books, all the radio stations, or the TV that you've seen or that you've heard or that you've read would be a total waste of time if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But, but if Jesus is alive, then being a part of church body life, then coming and listen, listening to sermons or raising your hands in worship should make a difference in your life. But without it, our proclamation would carry emptiness. But let's go on. Not only would our proclamation carry emptiness, our faith would be worthless. Look at what he says, verse 14. He said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He also says in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. What's the point of going to church every Sunday or going to a support group or reading the scriptures or even believing that God exists? Let me tell you, Christianity is the only religion ever conceived where their God died and rose up again. When Muslims go and visit Mecca, they're remembering the prophet Muhammad. 
When Buddhists worship a statue of Buddha, it's a God that's dead. No other religion has a God who is currently alive again. For the Christian, without the resurrection, Jesus can never change our lives because only the resurrection gives us the power to change. It is the power of the resurrection contained within the scriptures that is the power to change anything. The power of the resurrection is best evidence, not in this fantastic display of faith, but it's in the most intimate places in our hearts where, where we wonder if God actually hears us. Where we wonder if in the brokenness of our marriages, of our dissatisfaction with our jobs, with our rebellious kids, if we wonder that God is actually listening at all. Let me ask, in your life, Do you see the power of the resurrection taking hold in you? Are are the, the dark corners of your heart being illuminated by God? Are they being transformed into areas of holiness? Or is today just another day for you? Friend, if Christ is still in the grave, then any faith that you have that God can change you has no aim has no purpose, no end, and it has no first fruit, no fruit, which would be the place that Jesus went to prepare for us. Are y'all encouraged yet? This is the best Easter sermon you've ever heard, isn't it? Right? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, when we stand before God to give an account for all the dumb stuff that we've done, and some of y'all are like, man, I've done my share of dumb stuff. When you stand in front of God, if there is no resurrected Christ to be your advocate with the Father, then there will be no escape from God's wrath for your sins. No place for you to go. There's no hiding place. There's no mercy if the resurrection never happened. But also if the resurrection never happened, our suffering would be meritless. All the loved ones that we have sat in rooms like these Listen to preachers like me who have said, well, Granny just went to be with the Lord. All the ones that we hoped that we would see one day when we pass from this life, we'd never see. Our children, our parents, our friends, those who have been taken suddenly, those that we didn't have, a, have an opportunity to say goodbye to, those to whom we, we, we went in weeping, with a weeping farewell, with the hope that one day we would see them again in glory. All of that hope is gone forever if there's no resurrection. And so if Jesus didn't come back to life, then all the believers from the first century who today, who have already died, they're ruined, they're destroyed, they're finished. All of them, hoping to see them again is gone. How many times after the death of a loved one did you find comfort in the fact that they were with Jesus where there's no more sorrow, there's no pain, no sickness? As a matter of fact, John the Apostle, when Jesus pulls back the curtain on time in Revelation chapter 21, he says, he says and, and there's coming a day when, when God is going to put all things right and when he does, there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more crying, no more night. 
just the light of Christ illuminating everything, all of that would be nothing more than just another myth or fake news that you read about on Facebook. It's important for you to, to, to kind of marinate in this if the resurrection never happened. But what if it did? What if the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday morning, what if when the tomb, the stone was rolled away from the tomb, what if that tomb actually was empty? Look at verse 20. He says, but in fact, not if in fact, it's very different from what you see in verse 12, where he says, if Christ is proclaimed as as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection? Verse 20, he said, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruit, the very best, the very first offering from those who have fallen asleep. So how do we know that the resurrection happened? First, the the Bible tells me so. The inspired, the inerrant word of God, the very words of God himself to a broken man. The Bible tells us God himself who is in heaven, who was there when Jesus suffered and bled and died, who was watching when Joseph put him into that borrowed tomb, was standing there watching when, when, when the stone was rolled in front. He was party to all of it. And he says, but the resurrection has happened. And Jesus is alive. So how do we know that the resurrection is true? First, scripture tells us God did, in fact, raise Christ from the dead. And Paul's going to say in Romans chapter 4, in verse 24 and 5, he's going to say, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. Now, you may be sitting in here today and you may say, Pastor, that's all well and good. You look very nice today and I'm sure you're a super nice guy. But it's just not good enough that the Bible says that Jesus was raised from the dead. What else would the Bible say? Number one, the first argument always is that the scriptures say it's true, it's true. But I want to offer you a pragmatic, a little bit more pragmatic approach. That if you are part, if you are a friend who has left the faith, I want to offer you five incontrovertible truths that even historians and even people in the first century believed about Christianity surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. Number one is this, is that, that people, even, even Christianity's opponents, believe that there was a, a real man named Jesus Christ from the city of Nazareth who died in Jerusalem by crucifixion by the Roman government. That is not just a historical account that is put into the scriptures. It is in historical writings from the first century. Even people who don't believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, that they don't believe that he, was not, that he was more than a prophet, that he was God in flesh, that he was literally God with skin on. Even if they just think he was a good guy and a halfway decent teacher, they believe that there's a man named Jesus Christ, a historical figure from the city of Nazareth who died in Jerusalem by crucifixion by the Roman government. Second, 
people that, that uh, disagree with Christianity also will agree that Jesus' disciples believed that Jesus physically appeared to them after he died. We're going to explain that in a, in a little bit greater detail here in just a moment. Three, Paul, who was a Pharisee, he was literally a persecutor of the church. He was an opponent of Jesus. Whenever you see Jesus teaching in, in the Gospels, the Pharisees are off to the side snickering and trying to figure out how to get rid of this guy. All right, Paul, after, after uh, Jesus had, had, um, had died and then was resurrected, Paul was one or whose, whose name at the time was Saul from Tarsus. Saul was actually going from place to place trying to kill Christians to completely snuff them out. So Paul, who was a Pharisee, he was a, an original persecutor of the early church, was suddenly and miraculously, we read about it in Acts, that he was suddenly and miraculously changed by Christ when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And it's a physical fact that Paul took several missionary journeys, planting churches along the way. Who was one, The man who was once a persecutor of Christians became the greatest champion and missionary the church has ever seen. Number four, James, the half-brother of Jesus. Let me, let me stop there. How would you like it if, if your sibling was God? Like for those of you, how many of y'all have siblings in here today? Like you have siblings, all right. How would you like it if your sibling was God? Can you imagine growing up in that household? Mom, look what Jesus did to me. He's God, honey. Let it go. So James, the half-brother, now there were two James that were disciples. This is the half-brother of Jesus. He was one of the greatest skeptics. I mean, as a sibling, I don't blame him, right? Like, no, Mom, I don't believe that he's God, Okay. James, who, who all throughout Jesus' life and his ministry was one of the greatest skeptics of Jesus' deity, later, after the ascension, came around and became, and became the lead elder at the church of Jerusalem. If Jesus can get his sibling to believe he's God, can you imagine? And five, and this is what we celebrate today. When the women went to the tomb that morning and the angel was presiding over the tomb and the stone was rolled away, the angel asked the ladies, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He is not here for he is risen just as he said. And they go running back to the disciples who have gathered in the upper room and they say, He's not here for he is risen. The angel told us to tell you that, that he's not here, that he is risen. And the disciples said, well, that can't be. We saw him die. And they run to the tomb and the tomb was empty. Friends, I've been there. In 2016, Allie and I were privileged to go to Israel. I've been to the tomb. There's no Jesus there. It's physical evidence you can go find yourself. And some people will say, well, you know, the disciples rolled the stone away. Let me, tell you what, let me tell you what that stone is not. That stone was not movable by a couple people who were just ambitious. And even if the disciples could find a way to get past the centurion guards and to steal the body. I have been in the, in the local church long enough to know that very rarely are secrets kept super well between anybody, right? You ever heard the old adage that a secret between three people is best kept when two of them are dead? 
Sadly, that's not in the Bible. I wish I could preach it. I can't. Because it's really good life lessons. And you want to tell me that no Roman centurion who would have been killed if that body was stolen. You want to tell me that the disciples snuck past them, Jack Bauer style, and just got the, got the stone rolled away and stole that body and folded the grave clothes nicely at the end of the tomb? Folks, there is historical evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And you may say, Pastor, you seem like a nice guy. You're dressed super nicely today. I don't get to see you in a jacket very often. You look good. And I've long said that overweight people are, are generally much nicer than others. But let me tell you, I just don't believe you. That's cool. I'm, I'm good with that. People tell me they don't believe me all the time. It's, it's no big deal. I think, to me, one of the greatest apologetics for the literal, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus comes from the people that were closest to him. The disciples and the apostles. The people who were the closest to him, who walked with him through ministry, and then Paul later who encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. See, when Jesus, when he resurrected from the dead, he didn't leave. He stayed around. He ministered for 40 days, appeared to over 500 people before he ascended. But I think the greatest Christian apologetic comes from how his, the people that were closest to him died. So I want to show you. James who was not the half-brother of Jesus, the other James. Can you imagine being, being one of two James in the disciples group? Are we talking about the half-brother of Jesus? No, the other one. Okay? James, the other one. Not that one, the other one. Right? He was beheaded because he wouldn't deny Christ. Peter, the one who said, Lord, I will never deny you, then promptly proceeded to deny him three times was set to be crucified, and we don't see it in Scripture, but we do see it in church history, some, some historical writings from the first century, that they were going to lead Peter. And remember, this comes as prophecy in John chapter 21 when Jesus is restoring Peter and he's, he's cooking him breakfast on the side of the, on the sea of the shore of Galilee. He, he says, Peter, do you love me? He said, Jesus, Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep, right, three times. Feed my sheep, feed my lamb, feed, feed my sheep. And then Jesus says, okay, but understand there's going to, like right now, you go the places you want to go, but there's coming a day where you are going to be led where you don't want to go. It was a picture of what his death would look like. And so rather than denying uh, Jesus another time, Peter was set to be crucified. And Peter said, I cannot, I am not worthy to die a death like my Lord. And so Peter was crucified upside down. For his faith in Jesus. Matthew was impaled by a sword. John, the apostle who wrote four of the last five books of the New Testament, was actually, for his faith, was dipped in a, in a vat of boiling tar. They thought it would kill him. And when it didn't, he comes back up, he's still kicking and screaming. And they said, we really can't kill this guy. So they, they allowed him to be exiled to a mining 
colony on an island called Patmos, where he would spend the rest of his life doing hard labor. But it was also there that God would give him the revelation. He was the only disciple who died as an old man. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was tossed from the southeast pinnacle, the corner of the temple in Jerusalem. Then when his killers saw that he had survived the fall, then they went down and, and beat him to death. Kind of a cool side note. The southeast pinnacle, the southeast corner of the, uh, of the temple mount is traditionally held where Satan took Jesus and said, throw yourself from this pinnacle and let the legion of angels come around you and protect you. Bartholomew was whipped. He was actually flayed open uh, by, through being beaten with a whip. It actually opened him up and he, he wound up bleeding to death. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Thomas was impaled with a spear. Matthias, who was Judas's replacement, uh, he, he was stoned to death. And I'm, when we say stoned to death, they weren't taking like little rocks uh, and they were throwing them at him, you know, hoping one would hit him, in the, hit him in, in the head and kill him. These were boulders. They put you at the bottom of this, this valley and they, and they would roll these boulders over on top of you so that it would crush you to death. Matthias actually survived that and when they saw that he had survived, they went down and beheaded him. The other Judas, not Iscariot, not the one who betrayed Jesus, he was stoned to death too. Paul, one of the greatest missionaries, was tortured and then he was beheaded by Emperor Nero. You know what I've learned in my life, which isn't much? It's not so important for us to look at how the apostles died. What is important is for us to, to see the fact that they were all willing to die for their faith. I have never once in my life seen someone willing to die for a lie. But people die for the truth all the time. You may not believe what the scriptures say, and I hope one day you do. The fact is, is that the historical record shows us that everything that is contained in this is true. And the fact that all the apostles were willing to die horrible, terrible deaths, refusing to renounce their faith in Christ, is tremendous evidence that what they had witnessed was the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, who now holds the keys to death and to hell and the grave and wants you to be alive in Christ. In John chapter 6, and 40, in John chapter 6 verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let me tell you something, friend. The resurrection happened. Jesus is alive. And he wants you so badly, he can't stand it. He, he loves you and pursues you so deeply that he couldn't, that he was willing to die a cruel, unimaginable death to purchase your pardon so that your sin wouldn't have to be a one-to-one -one transaction, that your sin cost you your life. Jesus said, I came to certain, I came to not to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many. So that your death didn't have to be a one-to-one -one transaction. That when you die, when you leave this life and someone fills a church like this and says great things about you, there is hope for them that there, there is hope in the resurrection. And it's simply, 
involves for you to tap in to that resurrection power simply involves because Jesus is extending his hands out to you. He, his desire is that as he calls and draws you that still small voice as he reaches out his hand as a lifeline that you will simply take it. That you will say, Lord, I've done some terrible things and I ask you to forgive me. You can leave this place today with assurance that if you were to die today, that when you close your eyes in this world, that you will open them to Jesus saying, well done, my good and faithful servant, come and enter into your rest. Today, friend, is the day of salvation. Don't wait.